Even though I dedicated last week's book to everybody who started school last week, <clears throat> I would like to dedicate this week's book to everybody who had their first day of school today, this week, because today was my first day. Um, so this is dedicated to all the star rumors, past, present, and future. Magic Treehouse number 39, A Merlin Mission, Dark Day in the Deep Sea by Mary Pope Osborne. Chapter 1, Back to the Sea. Jack felt raindrops. He looked up and saw a summer storm cloud. Hurry, Jack called to Annie. They were riding their bikes home from the library. Jack's backpack was filled with library books. He didn't want them to get wet. As Jack and Annie pedaled faster, a large white bird swooped over them and flew into the Frog Creek woods. Did you see that? cried Jack. A seagull, cried Annie. It's a sign. You're right, said Jack. The last time they'd seen a seagull in Frog Creek, the magic treehouse was waiting for them. The woods, said Annie. Jack and Annie bumped their bikes over the curb. The rain fell harder as they headed into the wet woods. Their bike tires bounced over the rough ground, crushing leaves and snapping twigs. It must be time to look for another secret of happiness for Merlin, Jack called. I hope Merlin's feeling better, shouted Annie. I hope Teddy and Kathleen came with the treehouse, shouted Jack. Me too, shouted Annie. Jack and Annie steered their bikes under canopies of wet leaves. By the time they came to the tallest oak in the woods, the seagull had disappeared. But the magic treehouse was back. It was high in the tallest oak, its rope ladder swaying in the wind and rain. Jack and Annie climbed off their bikes and propped them against the trunk of the tree. Teddy! Kathleen! Annie shouted. There was no answer. I guess they didn't come this time, Jack said. Darn, said Annie. I really wanted to see them. Boo! Two older kids looked down out of the treehouse window. A curly-haired boy with a big grin and a girl with sea-blue eyes and a beautiful smile. Both were wearing long green cloaks. Yay! cried Jack and Annie. The rain fell harder as they started up the rope ladder. When they climbed into the treehouse, they yanked off their bike helmets and hugged Teddy and Kathleen. Morgan sent us to tell you about your next mission for Merlin, said Teddy. How is Merlin? asked Annie. Teddy stopped smiling. He shook his head. Merlin still suffers from an unspoken sorrow, Kathleen said sadly. When can we see him? asked Annie. We've learned two secrets of happiness to share with him, said Jack. You may visit him after you have learned two more secrets, said Kathleen. Morgan believes four is the magic number that will ensure success. We have come to send you on your search for a third secret, said Teddy. Kathleen took a book from under her cloak and handed it to Jack and Annie. From Morgan's hands to our hands to yours, she said. Jack took the book from her. The cover showed waves crashing on a beach, the deep sea. Wow, said Jack. We're going to the ocean? Yes, said Teddy. That is where you will next search for a secret of happiness. The ocean always makes me happy, said Annie. Once Jack and I traveled to a coral reef and swam with dolphins, and we ran into an octopus, but he was nice and shy, and but the shark we saw wasn't shy, Jack broke in. It was a big hammerhead. Oh my, said Kathleen. We took a ride in a mini sub, said Annie. It was so cool until it started to leak and, said Jack, we had to escape, said Annie. 
Yeah, said Jack. We tried not to splash so that Shark wouldn't notice us. We had so much fun, said Annie. Kathleen smiled. Well, I hope you will not find the same fun on this journey, she said. But in case you do, you have your wand to help you, do you not? Asked Teddy. The wand of Dianthus? Of course, said Jack. I always carry it, just in case. Jack reached into his backpack and pulled out the silvery wand. It was shaped like the spiraled horn of a unicorn. You remember the three rules? Asked Kathleen. Sure, said Jack. To make magic, we use a wish with only five words. And before we use the wand, we have to try our hardest, said Annie. And the wand can only be used for the good of others, said Jack, not just ourselves. Exactly, said Teddy. I wonder who the others will be on this mission, said Annie. She looked at Teddy and Kathleen. Maybe you guys? I fear not, said Kathleen. You must find the third secret on your own. Just remember to keep your wits about you, said Teddy, and listen to your hearts, said Kathleen. Okay, said Annie. We'll tell you all about it when we see you again. Lightning flashed through the woods as Jack pointed to the cover of the ocean book. I wish we could go there, he said. Thunder cracked in the dark sky. The wind blew harder. The treehouse started to spin. It spun faster and faster. Then everything was still. Absolutely still. Chapter 2, Pirates Again. Jack opened his eyes. Teddy and Kathleen were gone. The warm air was filled with mist. Jack and Annie peered out the window together. The treehouse had landed in a tall tree with spreading branches. The mist was so thick they couldn't see anything around them. But Jack heard the cause of gulls and the swooshing of rolling waves. He smelled salt water and seaweed. The ocean's out there. Feel it, said Annie. I hear it and smell it, said Jack. Then let's go play in it, said Annie. She pulled off her sneakers and socks. We can't just play, Jack said. We have to look for a secret of happiness. Well, I'm happiest when I'm playing in the ocean, Annie started down the rope ladder. I'm sure our mission's harder than that, Jack thought. He took their library books out of his pack and replaced them with the deep sea book. Hurry, said Annie. Jack put on his pack and started down after her. He stepped off the ladder onto the misty ground. Come on, said Annie. Jack followed Annie toward the sounds of seabirds and waves. They walked through feathery ferns and climbed a sloping sand dune. When they rounded the top, Jack saw waves rolling onto a wide, sandy beach. But the ocean itself was still shrouded in a gray haze. Wow, said Annie. Yeah, said Jack. Come on, let's go in, Annie said. Jack and Annie hurried down the dune and ran toward the ocean. While Annie waded into the water, Jack stood at the edge and pulled out their research book. Listen to this, Annie, he called. Jack read loudly. Water covers three-quarters of our earth. Most of the ocean is an enormous plain, a little more than two miles deep, but some ocean trenches are more than six miles deep. More than six miles, Annie asked, splashing the water with her hands. It's six miles from our house to Aunt Libby's. I know, said Jack. He read more. The ocean is home to thousands and thousands of sea creatures. Mountains and volcanoes are also hidden deep beneath the surface of the sea. Mountains and volcanoes, asked Annie, under the water? That's what the book says, said Jack. The ocean's a whole world we don't know anything about. 
Well, some people know about it, said Annie, or that book couldn't have been written. Good point, thought Jack. Put the book away and come in, Jack, said Annie. The sun's coming out. Jack looked up from his book. The sun was burning away the mist, making the day hotter. Let's go swimming, said Annie. As Annie dove into a wave, Jack put his book back into his backpack. He left his pack on the beach, then he waded into the water. Great, huh? called Annie. Yeah, Jack said as he dug his toes into the soft, gooey sand. Cool seawater lapped around his calves. He felt the warm sunshine on his face. Let's swim farther out, said Annie. Maybe the secret of happiness is in the deep sea. How do we go down there without a submarine? asked Jack. The wand, said Annie. Maybe it will turn us into fish or something. Jack closed his eyes and pictured the darkness of the deep filled with thousands of weird creatures. But the wand can be used only after we've tried our hardest. I don't think we've done that yet, he said. Oh, right, said Annie. Plus, it has to be for the good of others. So first we have to find some others, Jack said, his eyes still closed. Jack, you won't believe it, said Annie. What? Jack asked dreamily. Take a look, said Annie. Jack sighed and opened his eyes. The mist had cleared a bit, and the day was becoming bright and hot. I think we just found the others, said Annie. She pointed out to sea. Jack shaded his eyes and squinted. Through the wavy sunlight, he saw a large wooden ship with three tall masts. Whoa, he breathed. That's a ship from a long time ago. Yeah, remember when we ran into the pirate ship, said Annie? This ship looks the same, doesn't it? Oh no, said Jack. Pirates again? Look, a rowboat's leaving the ship, said Annie. Oh man, said Jack. It's heading toward us, said Annie. Just like that other time. Remember, the pirates came ashore and chased us? Remember Pinky, Stinky, and Captain Bones? Don't panic, said Jack, panicking. He splashed out of the water and ran up to the beach. Where should we go? asked Annie, hurrying after him. To the treehouse, said Jack. He grabbed his backpack. But the pirates climbed up to the treehouse, said Annie. Pinky and Stinky found, forget Pinky and Stinky, said Jack. Let's just get out of here. Jack and Annie charged toward the sand dune. They raced up over the top and ran through the tall ferns and grass until they came to the rope ladder. Up, up, cried Jack. Jack and Annie climbed into the treehouse. Pull up the ladder, said Jack. Together they hauled the rope ladder after them. Where's the Pennsylvania book, said Jack. He looked around wildly for the book that always took them home. He grabbed it and found a picture of Frog Creek. Wait, wait, don't make a wish yet, said Annie. She was looking out the window. I'm not so sure these guys are pirates. Clutching the Pennsylvania book to his chest, Jack looked out the window with Annie. There were three men in the rowboat. The boat rode the top of a wave and came close to the beach. Two of the men scrambled out and dragged the boat from the shallow water onto the sand. They both wore huge, bulky vests over white, puffy sleeve shirts. They wore round white hats and white pants rolled up to their knees. Those two don't look at all like Pinky and Stinky, said Annie. You're right, said Jack. Pirates never wear such clean-looking clothes. And look at that third guy, said Annie. The third man stepped out of the boat, carrying a butterfly net. He pulled off his bulky vest, revealing an old-fashioned suit and a bow tie. He definitely doesn't look like a pirate, said Annie. Yeah, said Jack. He looks like he's never been on a boat before in his life. 
As the two sailors pulled the rowboat farther up the beach, the men in the bow tie, the man in the bow tie picked up a stick. He started poking at clumps of seaweed. What's he doing? asked Jack. <clears throat> the man dropped his stick and picked up something small from the sand. He studied it for a moment. Then he knelt down, pulled a small book out of his pocket, and started to write. Who is he? said Jack. I don't know, said Annie, but one thing's for sure. Pirates don't carry butterfly nets or write in notebooks. You're right, said Jack. He put down the Pennsylvania book. So what's going on? Let's find out, said Annie. She dropped the rope ladder back to the ground and started down. Jack grabbed his pack and hurried after her. Together, they ran barefoot over the hot sand and through the feathery ferns. They climbed to the top of a sand dune and looked down. The three men were still at the edge of the water while the big ship drifted offshore. Hey, look, you can see the name of the ship, said Annie. Jack peered through the haze and read on the side of the ship, H.M.S. Challenger. I'll look it up, he whispered. He pulled out their research book and searched the index. It's here, he whispered. He found the right page and read, The HMS Challenger, HMS stands for Her Majesty's Ship, was a British Navy vessel that served as the first dedicated scientific exploration ship in the history of the world. Oh man, said Jack, looking up. That is so cool. Yeah, read more, whispered Annie. Jack read on. From 1872 to 1876, the HMS Challenger circled the globe, exploring the dark depths of the ocean. There were over 200 seamen and six scientists on board. So we landed in the 1870s, said Jack, looking up again. And that guy with the butterfly net must be one of the scientists, said Annie. Come on, let's go meet him. Before Jack could tell her to wait, Annie darted down the sand dune. Hey guys, she called. She waved her arms. Hi! The three men whirled around. Their eyes grew wide and their mouths dropped open. They looked at Annie as if they were staring at a ghost. Chapter 3, A Creature Named Henry. Jack threw their book into his pack and quickly ran to join Annie. Hi, he said to the three men. Don't be afraid, said Annie. We come in peace. The three men kept gawking. Who? Who are? Are you? One of the sailors sputtered. Jack and Annie walked closer. I'm Jack and this is Annie, said Jack. The man in the bow tie stepped forward. He had a long mustache and a big friendly smile. My name is Henry, he said. I came ashore to look for rare butterflies, plants, and shells. But it seems I have found a rare creature called a Jack and Annie instead. And we found a creature called a Henry, said Annie, giggling. That's what we named a Pteranodon when we went to the time of the dinosaurs. I beg your pardon, said Henry. Uh, she's teasing, said Jack. What an unusual wit, said Henry, his eyes sparkling. Well, you have not only found a Henry, you have also found a Joe and a Tommy, the two able seamen who rode me here. Hi, Joe and Tommy, said Annie. She gave the two sailors a big smile. But Joe and Tommy didn't smile back. They were both scowling. Where are you from? Joe asked suspiciously. Frog Creek, Pennsylvania, said Annie. Where is that? asked Tommy. America, said Jack. How nice, said Henry. Why are you here? We, uh, we're on vacation, said Annie. We're camped with our family back there somewhere. She waved vaguely. Vacation, said Henry. Our parents liked a vacation in really out-of-the-way places, said Annie. 
Henry chuckled. Americans. Are you a scientist from the HMS Challenger? Jack said. He was eager to change the subject. Why, yes, said Henry. I am one of the team trying to solve the riddles of the deep. Jack loved the sound of that. Riddles of the deep. What kind of riddles have you solved so far, he asked. Well, for one thing, we've learned that the ocean floor is absolutely teeming with life, said Henry. You didn't already know that, asked Annie. We thought it was probably the case, said Henry. But mind you, many people cannot imagine that life can exist in the icy darkness of the deep. In fact, some still believe there is no floor to the ocean at all. They think the sea goes down forever. Are you serious, said Annie? Ha! I guess you'll be letting them know that most of the ocean is not more than two miles deep. Of course, some ocean trenches are deeper than six miles, but Annie, said Jack, my, you know a lot about the sea, said Henry, looking at Annie with curiosity. Well, I know that mountain ranges and volcanoes are down there too, said Annie. Jack leaned in close to Annie. Stop showing off, he said under his breath. Um, I mean, maybe. Just maybe, Annie said to Henry. Of course, I'm only guessing. You are a very good guesser, said Henry. On our vo voyage, we've collected many volcanic rocks from the deep. Cool, said Annie. How'd you get them? Many subs? Many subs, asked Henry. You know, they carry you down into the deep sea, said Annie. Annie, said Jack between his teeth. He gave her a look that said, just stop. Jack was pretty sure mini-subs hadn't been invented by the early 1870s. He quickly changed the subject again. And you study butterflies too, he said, pointing to Henry's net, and seashells? Indeed I do, said Henry. In fact, I came ashore to search for a rare shell just now, and I think I may have found its cousin. He opened his book to a page that showed a pencil drawing of the shell. Would you like us to help you look for more? asked Annie. Why, thank you, said Henry, but I have quite successfully found what I came for. We'll be going back to the ship now. Oh, please, can we visit the HMS Challenger? Annie blurted out. Out of the question, said the sailor named Joe. Well, I'm, said Henry. Sir, the captain would never approve of bringing children on board, Tommy broke in. It's absolutely against the rules. Henry looked at Jack and Annie. Jack didn't want to break any rules, but at the same time, he really wanted to visit the ship. We'd really like to learn more about sea exploration, he said. He gave the scientist a hopeful smile. We promise not to get in anyone's way, said Annie, and our parents like us to learn new things. Henry turned back to the two seamen. Surely such bright and curious young people should be allowed to visit our ship, he said. Since we'll be drifting and dredging in this area all day, we can return them to shore before nightfall. Joe and Tommy frowned at each other, but Joe finally gave a quick nod. Yay, Annie said. Thanks, said Jack. We promise we won't cause any trouble. See that you don't, said Henry with a smile. Joe and Tommy, would you mind lending our two visitors your life preservers? Never fit them, sir, said Joe. Well, we must do what we can to keep them safe, said Henry. The two men grudgingly handed Jack and Annie their bulking vests. So these are old-fashioned life preservers, thought Jack. The vests were made of blocks of cork tied together. Even though Jack buckled his tightly, it hung low on his body, almost slipping off. 
I'm afraid they are rather big, said Henry, but still they might save you should we capsize. Don't worry, said Annie. We're really good swimmers. We should go now, sir, Joe said impatiently. Yes, yes, Henry said. Let us be off. Joe and Tommy pushed the rowboat into the shallow water. While Jack and Annie had been talking with Henry, the water had turned choppy. Dark gray clouds had rolled in, hiding the sun. Climb in after me, Henry told Jack and Annie, and they followed him into the rowboat. Jack's backpack wouldn't fit over his life jacket, so he clutched the pack to his chest as Joe and Tommy pushed the boat farther into the ocean. The sailors jumped in, picked up their oars, and began rowing back to the ship. Chapter 4, Off the Ship The wind's against us, Joe said as he and Tommy rowed. Even after the boat moved past the breakers, it kept bouncing up and down on the swell of the waves. Water splashed over the sides and soaked Jack's clothes. But Jack wasn't worried about the wind or water. He was worried about being seasick because waves of nausea had started to come over him. Sorry, it's a bit tough going, Henry said. We can take it, Annie said. We hope, thought Jack. The last thing he wanted to do was throw up, especially in front of Joe and Tommy. We should get back just in time to see the men haul up this morning's catch, said Henry. This is so much fun, said Annie, her eyes shining as the little rowboat bobbed up and down. Jack wasn't having any fun at all. To keep from being sick, he gripped his backpack, closed his eyes, and gritted his teeth. Every day we make new discoveries, said Henry. Off the coast of Argentina, we found over 100 new species. Giant worms several feet long, shrimp the size of lobsters. Caught them in our nets, didn't we, Joe? Aye, said Joe as he pulled on the oars. But the creature that's never been caught is the one these mates should be worried about. What creature is that? asked Annie. The great monster, answered Tommy. Jack opened his eyes. What? You mean like a shark? he asked. No, no, lad. Tis much worse than any shark. Even the 20-foot tiger shark that's been following us, said Tommy. The sailor blinked nervously. Whoa, 20-foot tiger shark? thought Jack. He looked at the dark water for a shark fin. Aye, this monster's much bigger than any shark, shouted Joe. They say it looks like a cross between a dragon and a gigantic starfish. Nay, more like a floating nest of snakes, mate, said Tommy with a shudder. They say it'll curl around your body and strangle you to death. A floating nest of snakes? Annie asked. Jack gulped. He turned to Henry. Have you seen the monster? He asked the scientist. Henry shook his head. I've never seen it, he said, but a few of our crewmen claim to have glimpsed something monstrous in these waters just yesterday. Don't be scared, mates, said Joe. If we see a monster, we'll hurl our harpoons at him. We'll shoot him with our cannons, said Tommy. He and Joe laughed loudly. Maybe the sailors on the ship are just trying to scare the scientists, Jack thought hopefully. Why else would they be laughing? When they reached the HMS Challenger, the rowboat drew alongside the big ship, rocking on the water. Jack gripped his pack tighter as more waves of seasickness washed over him. You go first, mate, Joe said to Jack. You're looking a bit green. Clutching his pack under one arm, Jack grabbed the sides of the ladder. He held on tightly and climbed from the wooden hull of the ship up to the top deck. Annie came after him, then Henry, Joe, and Tommy. When they were all on the deck, the two seamen hauled up the rowboat. Jack took a long, deep breath. 
Though the large ship rocked in the wind, it wasn't nearly as bad as the small rowboat's movement on the waves. Looking around the deck, Jack saw teams of sailors working. Some were coiling thick ropes, others were hauling up strange-looking buckets. Jack turned to ask Henry what the sailors were doing, but Henry was staring at a tall man in a white uniform and a heavy-set older man in a dark suit who were walking briskly toward them. The two men were frowning. Oh no, murmured Henry, prepare to meet thy doom. Who are they? asked Annie. Before Henry could answer, the, men, the man in white shouted, What have you done this time, Mr. Mosley? Jack moved closer to Annie. He clutched his pack to his life vest. Well, Captain, I, started Henry. Goodness, what have you brought up from the sea now? The portly man asked. A four-legged, four-armed creature of the deep? Yes, Professor. It's a Jack and Annie from America, said Henry. I found the creature vacationing on the island. The portly man smiled. Oh, I see. I thought perhaps it was the monster that was sighted by some of the men yesterday. The monster again, thought Jack. This ship is not a place for children, Mr. Mosley, the captain said gruffly. Yes, I know, sir, said Henry, but these two are extraordinary. They hardly seem like children at all. They're quite independent and have great knowledge of the sea. I thought it might be permissible to bring them aboard for the afternoon and then return them to shore. I'm afraid it goes against all the ship's rules, said the captain. It's not Henry's fault, Captain, Annie piped up. We begged him to let us visit your ship. Ah, did you now? The portly man asked, his eyes twinkling. Why is that? We love the ocean, said Annie. And we'd really like to learn more about sea exploration, sir, said Jack. Well, you've come to the right place said the man. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Professor Thompson, the scientific director of the Challenger. The professor is one of the world's most renowned experts on the ocean, said Henry. Wow, said Annie. Well, I don't know about that, the professor said modestly, but he put his thumbs in his vest and began speaking as if he were giving a lecture. Since the beginning of time, the secrets of the deep have been hidden from us. But now, with our expedition, we have learned many things. Like what? asked Jack. We have used miles and miles of steel wire to measure the depths of the sea, said the professor. We have lowered thermometers to measure temperatures in the deep. But perhaps most important of all, we are learning about the amazing creatures who live in the dark regions far beneath the ocean waves. That is all well and good, professor the captain broke in, but I want these children off this ship immediately before the weather gets worse. Do you hear, Mr. Mosley? Off the ship. Chapter 5, Ooze. The captain turned and strode away. Sorry, friends, Henry said to Jack and Annie, but the captain's in charge. He looked around. I see Joe and Tommy are helping the men bring up the catch now. As soon as they are free, I will ask them to take you back to shore. I am very sorry. That's okay, said Annie. You did what you could. Before you young people leave, perhaps you would like to see today's specimens? Asked the professor. Sure, said Jack and Annie together. Then come along, said the professor. Every single day we make new discoveries. Hurrying with Annie across the deck, Jack couldn't wait to see what had just been brought up from the deep. They followed Henry and the professor to a team of sailors pulling up large nets. The nets were shaped like giant bags with mops attached to the bottom. What are those mops for? asked Annie. They sweep up sea animals from the floor of the ocean, explained Henry. 
We pulled them from pitch darkness into the light of day, said the professor. That must scare them, said Annie. But the professor didn't seem to hear her. Over the years, we've hauled up tens of thousands of specimens, he said. As the sailors dumped the bags onto the deck, Jack saw mostly mud. But lying in the mud were tiny, squirmy, pink and yellow fish and fiery orange sea stars. No monsters there, huh? asked Annie. The professor looked at her. Not today, my dear, he said. I was just kidding, said Annie. Do you believe in monsters? Oh, well, the professor looked serious. The sea is very deep, my dear. It covers nearly three quarters of the world. So I say to myself, might it not indeed hold many mysterious creatures, including monsters? Good point, thought Jack. But don't be afraid, children, said the professor. Someday we'll catch all the monsters and study them. We will conquer our fears through knowledge, won't we, Henry? Yes, sir, said Henry. Conquer our fears through knowledge. The professor repeated his thought with enthusiasm. I shall add that to my lectures. Low thunder rolled in the sky. Jack looked up. Black clouds hovered overhead. A strong gust of wind swept over the deck. Attention, the captain shouted, heading toward them. A squall is headed our way. For now, take the children below to the main deck. Yes, sir, said Henry. He smiled at Jack and Annie. Well, friends, I suppose you get to stay with us a while longer after all. Yay, Annie said softly. Only those on watch stay on deck. The captain shouted to his crew, Everyone else, get below! Henry led Jack and Annie away just as the rain began to pour down. Water dripped from Jack's hair and backpack and life vest as he and Annie followed Henry down a steep flight of stairs to a dimly lit hallway. Our ship was converted from a war vessel to a ship of sea laboratories, Henry said. The Navy removed 16 of the 18 guns on board to make room for them. Would you like to see mine? Oh, yes, said Jack. He couldn't wait to see an actual sea laboratory. Follow me. Henry unlocked a door and showed Jack and Annie into a large dim room. There was a small skylight overhead. Rain pounded against the glass. Henry struck a match and lit a couple of oil lamps. Shadows danced around the room. Jack smiled and let out a deep sigh. He loved the sea lab. Shelves were lined with hundreds of different sized bottles. The bottles were filled with floating blobs. In the middle of the room was a wooden table. It held maps, rulers, thermometers, bowls with gooey-looking stuff, and a big microscope. Henry pointed at the microscope. Would you like to see something remarkable, he asked. Oh, yes, said Annie. She peered through the eyepiece. Whoa, that's amazing, she breathed. Let me see, said Jack. He put his backpack down on the table and looked in the microscope. He saw the tiny skeleton of a seahorse. Cool, he said. That seahorse is no bigger than a grain of sugar, said Henry. But of course, I'm fascinated by larger creatures as well. Why, just yesterday, I spent several hours studying the ear bone of a dolphin and the tooth of a shark. And what's in all those bottles? asked Annie. She pointed at the rows and rows of bottles on Henry's shelves. Many curiosities, said the scientist. That large one, for instance, holds a creature that looks like a giant sock. Some call it a blubberfish, but it's not a fish at all. It is made up of millions of tiny sea creatures. Ooh, said Annie. And there's a rare sea slug, said Henry. He pointed to a bright yellow blob floating in a clear liquid. 
Nice color, said Jack. We study whatever we bring up from the deep, said Henry. We measure the specimens and identify them. Then we preserve them in bottles of alcohol and label the bottles. So all those bottles are full of dead sea creatures, said Annie. Oh no, many bottles are simply filled with ooze from the bottom of the sea, said Henry. Ooze, said Jack. The official name for mud, said Henry, smiling. Here, feel it. Henry picked up one of the plates on the table and held it out to Jack and Annie. They rubbed the sticky wet mud between their fingers. Ooze is a good name for it, said Jack. Henry gave them a cloth to wipe their hands. Then he picked up a large book from the table. And here is the notebook where I transfer my drawings of natural history specimens, he said. He opened the book. Inside were beautiful watercolors of shells, plants, and butterflies. These are great, said Jack. Henry's notebook reminded him of the notebooks he'd seen in Leonardo da Vinci's studio. This is beautiful, said Annie. She reached across Henry's table and picked up a gleaming round seashell. The shell was white with curved reddish-brown lines. Yes, Henry said softly, my nautilus shell. Is this one of your specimens? asked Annie. No, said Henry. I don't consider that a specimen. It's more like a treasure. I'm afraid I grew quite fond of the little creature who once lived inside that shell. What did he do? asked Annie. Oh, he just swam around a small tub I had for him, said Henry. But he moved backwards. Rather funny. He filled himself with water and then squirted it out all over me, Henry smiled. I was quite sad when he died. I wished I had returned him to the sea. Henry put the shell down and let out a quiet sigh. Silly to think that way, I know. Not silly at all, said Annie. The ship's bell rang. Ah, time to go, said Henry. The captain runs a tight ship. It's against the rules to be late. So let us be off to the wardroom. What's the wardroom? Jack asked. That's where the scientists and naval officers eat, said Henry. Eat? Jack said weakly. The thought of food made him feel queasy again. Yes, said Henry. He blew out the two oil lamps. Come along. You must join us. It's lunchtime.